Your son? Jesse. Jesse. Okay. It's her son, Jesse. Oh, the Colwells. Okay, Colwells, and her for her headache. She's been having a headache for like what over a week now, like two weeks. Okay, which is odd because I just had the same thing happen to me, which is weird. But Doc thinks it was allergies. Yeah. The wisdom how to reach the loss. I'm going to share something with you in a minute. I think it's going to be a little easier than you think. Hey, thank you for that. Please, I need prayer like you wouldn't believe, guys, seriously. Anyone else? Uh, yes, ma'am. Your family? Okay, Martha Laura and her family. All right. Well, let's... That's true. That's true. So I want to I want to share something with you uh, really quick, uh, Augustine. To your point, um, so you all remember the the very odd circumstances I've told you about in the past that led to my wife and I coming here to Texas, right? Um, very Holy Spirit type circumstances. Uh, a couple days ago, um, I woke up. I was about to come into the church, and uh, Spirit spoke to me, and He said, "I want you to go, and I want you to speak to somebody here in town." Uh, Miss Perlene, uh, that several of you know. And I hadn't had a chance to formally meet her yet. And through that conversation that, that she and I both had, we, we realized that a lot of the things that God has been showing me over the last few years is exactly the same thing that God has been showing her over the last few years. And if you remember when we were doing Upreach, Inreach, Inreach, Upreach, Inreach, Outreach, I told you that the reason why we're doing this is because I feel like we need to posture ourselves as a church to get ready for revival. And when I say revival, I don't mean, you know, just a, a tent revival where it's just a, a, basically a gospel meeting. I'm talking about an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit in these last days to empower us to rise up, to be workers, to be sent out into the field and to the harvest. Because I tell you something, guys, God is not only going to raise you up, but he's also creating the circumstances through which people are going to want to hear. Now, at the same time, there's going to be a whole lot of people who aren't going to want to hear too. And the times that are coming are going to be difficult. And we have to be ready for that. So can we pray for that as well? Okay? All right. If you would, James, whenever you're ready and your heart's willing, we'll pray. Did you ever find a mic? Okay. Thank you, Terry. Holy Father, we are just so blessed to be your children, so blessed that we can call you our Father and that we can call you our Father before the world in front of everyone. Father, help us not to be ashamed. Help us to be eager and willing. Help us 
Father, prepare us. Uh, I think you're going to hear that word several times before I finish. But Father, we have a list of, of things, and, and they're random. And Father, they're going to come to you random too. But if you can put us together the way you have, you can put this, this prayer together the way it needs to be. You're so thankful, Father, that you're omni-everything. That there's nothing you can't do and, and there's nothing that surprises you, nothing that, that overwhelms you. But, Father, our minds are on June Holcomb and Tom and, and the family. Father, be with June as, as she deals with, with the stroke and, and the effects after it. Uh, Father, be with Tom and, and all those who are caring for, for June. Uh, give them courage and strength and, and patience to, to face the days ahead. Father, be with Jane as she prepares herself for, for this uh, surgery. Uh, be with the medical staff there too, Father, and uh, I just ask that it would go smoothly and, and, and easily and the healing would be quick and uh, without complications. Father, we still so desperately need rain. Uh, we got a lot of rain here a few days ago, but it rained so hard and so fast that most of it ran off instead of soaking in. So, Father, we, if you would just give us a, a good soaking rain that that replenishes our, our land and our our uh, the plants and, and even us, Father. It's just such an encouragement. Uh, and Father, at the same time, we are mindful of, of all the fires going on in New Mexico. Uh, they get something under control and it pops up right next to it or somewhere else. But, Father, they need rain at least as much, if not more, than we do. And we ask that you would would stop the, the, the fires and, and, and bring the rain. Uh, and you know just how much and, and where. Father, we are mindful, mindful of Augustine's mother, Evangelina. We ask that you would be with her in all that she's dealing with. Uh, be with Augustine and, and, and the family to, to be a source of encouragement to her. Father, we are surrounded by lost souls, lost people. And maybe most of them don't even know that they are lost. Uh, so many think that that this is all there is, Father. There, uh, it doesn't occur to them that that you have a plan, and that the plan includes them. Father, give us wisdom and, and discernment as we go from day to day. Help us to be bold and help.
help us to be bold in, in our prayers too, Father, that, uh, that what we ask, we will expect. Father, uh, we're mindful of Jesse, and we're mindful of the Caldwells. Father, we ask that you would see to their needs, and Father, if you would ease Pam's headaches, help help them to go, just go away, Father. Father, our our churches and our preachers are, are facing times that that haven't been faced maybe since the first century. Uh, things are so so urgent, so. Uh, complicated father and our world has has gone from not caring about the churches to just almost declaring war against us we ask that you would give us the strength and courage and and those who are speaking and preaching your word father give them strength and courage be with the leadership in all the churches father Help us to realize that, that uh, you're our God and you're the God of, of each one of these churches, Father. And the nitpicky things that we disagree about are nothing compared to your glory and what you have planned for each of us. So, Father, strengthen us all, but especially our leaders, Father. Father, we're also mindful of Martha Laura's family. Ask that you would be with them. We're thankful for Martha and, and all the, the healing that you've done in her and, and continue to do. Father, just be with the rest of the family and do what needs to be done with each of them too, Father. Father, we uh, we read in, in Scripture how how the first century Christians lived expectantly, thinking that each day might be the day that Jesus returns. And Father, in the 2,000 years since then, we've kind of gotten away from that. We'd be really surprised if Jesus showed back up today, and we ask that you would forgive us for that, that you would stir us up, that you would wake us up, that you would bring us back to the eager expectation of our Savior's return. And Father, as we eagerly expect and, and wait, help us to be a, a magnet. Help us to, to draw others to you. Help us others to see our joy. Help us to see our love for one another. And for that matter, Father, help us to love one another. Help us to realize that that we are the source of the remnant. Help us to be a part of that remnant and help us to grow as a family and face face the days ahead, uh, hand in hand and heart in heart. Uh, and help us to uh, lay aside the, the silly differences, Father, and remember who you are and, and who we are. And that uh, 
the body of Christ is us. That you and your son dwell within us and your spirit guides us whether we know it or not. We ask that you would make us aware and open our hearts to to receive what you have for us in these these times, Father. And now as Tim begins this this uh, new class, uh, open our hearts to what he has too, Father. For uh, it's the same subject we've been talking about anyway, just on a different level. And we ask that you would be with Tim. And be with all of us as we begin this class. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whoo. I'm feeling blessed by that prayer. What would you say, Augustine? Thank you for Thursday. Yeah. That was the trip to see the movie. Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. That was good. All right. Well, good morning. Thank you, James. That was really good. Spirit's on you this morning, brother. I can definitely tell. Um, We are going to be embarking on a brand new study this morning through the book of Daniel. And I'm curious, just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever done in a church a a verse-by-verse study of the book of Daniel? Anybody? Uh, In ladies' class? class? Beth Moore study. Raise your hands one more time. In church, verse-by-verse study of Daniel. One, two, three, four, five, six. So maybe about one-fourth of you or so, 25% or so, okay? Curious, how many of you have ever done a verse-by-verse study of the book of Revelation? Raise your hand. In church? In, in church or Sunday school, either one. Okay, even less, even less. Okay, well, that doesn't surprise me because uh, it, in, in our tradition, in our background, um, prophecy is not discussed very often, and that's the way it was for me growing up. I remember hearing uh, many, many sermons about how to argue with Baptists and Pentecostals and Methodists. And uh, I can tell you about the doctrines of the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and uh, all those types. I, I'm being a little facetious, but, um, but I remember growing up, I never really understood a whole lot about prophecy. In particular, I didn't really understand a whole lot about the Old Testament, um, I remember most of the stories that I had learned either in Bible class or sermons uh, growing up would pull stories out of the Old Testament about Moses and Elijah. And usually there were moral lessons about let's be like these people. But I never really dug into the Old Testament until I went to college. And um, I started getting into, I remember when I went to Lipscomb, I, I decided that I wanted the emphasis because you can choose, you can choose your emphasis to be New Testament, Old Testament. Um, I felt pretty good in New Testament, and I knew that I was going to be covering all the letters of Paul, so I chose my emphasis to be Old Testament, and part of that was learning biblical languages. And um, Hebrew was something that I just absolutely thoroughly enjoyed, Um, just gobbled it up as much as I possibly could. But I realized as I was learning Hebrew and as we were starting to to read the Old Testament and really kind of get an understanding of the story of the nation of Israel, I realized that there are so many things that is in the Old Testament that we don't understand, that we don't see. And Sandy and I were talking about this uh, last Sunday, I think it was, about just how in the last, you think Israel, Israel was uh, made a nation again May 14, 1948. And it's the only time in history where 
a nation is reborn, especially after 2,000 years, and not only do they readopt their language, they begin teaching their language again to their people, um, but they readopted their customs, they readopted their history. And what's ironic is, is that, you know, James, you said something a moment ago. You said it's interesting how the time period that we're living in is starting to mirror more and more, kind of like the first century. We're going to talk in a moment, actually up here, uh, Luke and I both, we're going to have a, a conversation this morning about passing the spiritual baton. And one of the things that we're going to discuss is how interesting it is that the times that we're living in today mirror, interestingly enough, like it was in the first century. Now, I don't think that's by accident. Um, I think that we are moving toward the time period of the, the Lord's return. And I think that the call of the Holy Spirit in our age, and I think one of the reasons why this place right here in Snyder is so special. It's because, do you know where revival happens? Revival happens like this. Because if we use the first century as a model, what did Jesus tell his disciples to do after he was raised from the dead? Do you remember what he told them to do? He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to go to the upper room. And I want you to wait. And so you have all these people that are there from all different walks of life, but they're there in expectation, they're there in waiting, and they're there in love and unity. You want to know one of the reasons why the church has been so weak and so destroyed over the years? It's because we haven't had love and unity. But you know what has happened in Snyder? You know what's happened in Sea City? I just learned that, by the way. <laughs> Sea City. I kept hearing everybody say Sea City, and I thought y'all were saying Sioux City, like Dakota. I was like, where's Sioux City? I never heard of Sioux City. Sea City, San Angelo, right? There's another one nearby. Um, the Mesquite Country, the walk. Do you guys realize what the walk has done? This was something the Spirit showed me this week. What the walk has done in this community is bring down the walls of denominationalism. And you want to know a phrase? Let me, let me give you this. When I was having that conversation with Perlene last week, here's what she said, and I quote. You're going to hear it because this is exactly what I said when we did out or upreach. She said, the one thing that's happened in this community in the last 20 years is that more and more churches, watch it, are posturing themselves for revival. Amen. You want to know why? Because Jesus says that when he returns, he's going to return for a bride that's been made white. By the blood of the Lamb. He's going to return for a bride that's blameless. But that bride is not just Gentile, it's also Jew. And what have you seen of the last 20 years, folks? You have seen a resurgence among the Jews of what we call Messianic Jews. The other day we went to go see Jonathan Kahn and we heard a Messianic Jew. You heard insights that you've probably never heard before. Why? Because what's happening is, is that Gentile Christians are starting to learn more about the roots of their faith and Jews who have been in the roots of the faith are starting to learn more about their Messiah. And the Bible says that there will be one new man. So why do I bring all that up? I bring that up because the more I read prophecy and the more I read the Old Testament, the more I started to read through a different set of lenses. One of the things that's going to help us as we go through the book of Daniel is to try to have the mindset of a Jew. It's not going to be perfect, right? Because we're Gentiles, right? We're outsiders trying to look in. But as we put on those lenses and look through this scripture, 
through the mind of a Jew, I think we're going to see some things that are going to blow you away. Um, why study prophecy? Why study the book of Daniel? Let me give you a few reasons why I have, um, why it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. When I started studying prophecy, when I read through the book of Daniel, and I realized what some of these prophecies were talking about. It made me, as a young believer, come to an absolute realization that God has to be real. God has to be real. If I had my slide, I'd put point number one up here. But the, the number one reason why, one of the reasons, not the number one reason, but one of the reasons why I love this book so much is because, number one, it reveals Gentile history in advance. It reveals it in advance. There's two places in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. And when you read those prophecies, you realize that Gentile history is laid out in advance. All the world empires that have ever existed and all the world empires that will ever exist before the Lord returns is spelled out perfectly right in the Bible. That was one reason. Now, Daniel chapter 9, when we get there, listen, let me tell you something. Daniel chapter 9 will change your life. Because after Daniel spends all this time fasting and praying and repenting for the sins of the nation, God sends an angel to him and he gives him a prophecy called Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks. And I'll tell you something, guys. When I realized the full impact of what that chapter was saying, and we'll get more in depth when we get there, but when I realized that that prophecy not only predicted the very day that Jesus was to ride in on a donkey, several hundred years before it happens. But it also gives you a little detail at the very end of the prophecy that Jesus refers to in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, where Jesus says, listen, uh, he had a few uh, disciples of his that came to him after he had talked about the last days and the falling down of the temple. And they came to him and... and, uh, um, on the Mount of Olives, and they said, could you give us a little bit more insight? And so he starts telling them about things that they can expect to see prior to his return. And one of those things, he says, when you see this, like Daniel talked about, where? In Daniel chapter 9. He says, when you see that, know that such and such is about to take place. That's what he refers to in Matthew 24, verse 15. And that's why I'm calling this class Decoding Daniel, let the reader understand, because in Matthew chapter 24, he's telling his disciples, I want you to understand these things. All my life, when I've talked about prophecy and the return of Christ, I've heard it dismissed immediately. Well, nobody knows the day or the hour. We're not supposed to worry about that anyway. And yeah, all we need to do is just love Jesus and, and love others. Well, that's true, except for the fact that over a third of your Bible is written in prophecy. So if you're willing to tell me that we're not supposed to understand a third of our Bible, well, then I think it's probably important that we take time to learn it, don't you think? Okay. So I just found this book fascinating because it proved to me that God is real, that He is active, that He is sovereign, that it does not matter what's happening. It does not matter. Let me tell you something right now. This Roe v. Wade thing, watch and be careful. Don't think it's a coincidence that all this is happening in our country right now after all the other things that have been happening in this world. Are you kidding me? We're being baited as Christians, guys. Now listen, do I want to see the overturn of Roe v. Wade? Absolutely. Absolutely. But watch how you treat others in the midst of this process. 
because the Supreme Court is going to let it go in the, in, the, in the summer. They're going to turn it back to the states. And already there's over 183 protests that are going on all across the country. That is very organized, by the way. And I kid you not, you're probably going to have half the nation that within a span of a year is going to try to ban abortion. Don't you think that that is not going to be a battle that's going to play itself out in the streets of America? So how do we respond as Christians? Speak the truth in anger. Speak the truth with yelling. Speak the truth with signs and beat them up in the streets, right? No. Speak the truth in love. That's the way. Okay, so there's a lot of things that are changing in this world. And one of the things that I hope that we do as we go through the book of Daniel is not only understand what happened back then and what happened throughout history, but also to get a sense of maybe what God is doing today and how we're supposed to respond to it. Amen. Okay, so generally speaking, if you want to understand Bible prophecy, you need to look at it through the lens of the nation of Israel. All Bible prophecy in the Bible has to do with that nation. Its birth, its mission, its purpose, and its destiny. And if you keep that in the back of your mind, it'll help you understand a whole lot of Bible prophecy. But there are two places in the Bible that are an exception to that rule. And both of them occur here in the book of Daniel. Where the focus is not on the Jews. The focus is on us, on the Gentiles. On the rest of the world. In fact, the book of Daniel, uh, this is something Sandy and I, we were talking about the language last week. The book of Daniel is one of the only places in the Bible that actually deviates from the Hebrew. There's a whole section, I think it's from chapter 2 to chapter 7, that goes from Hebrew to Aramaic. Literally, God changes the language to the, world, to the language of the Gentiles when he's speaking directly to you and I, to the Gentiles. Isn't that fascinating? Two of you think so. Okay, good. That's very good. All right. <clears throat> Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, it may shock you to discover that there is a chapter in the Bible that was actually written by a Gentile. Did you know that? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the world at that time, one of the first main world rulers, writes a chapter about the God of Israel, praises the God of Israel, and posts it all throughout his realm. Isn't that amazing? Yes, ma'am. What's that? Which, which one? Nebuchadnezzar. He writes the letter. It, it's, a different, it's a chapter in the Bible. We'll get to it. We'll get to it a little bit later. She has the softest little voice. I can barely hear her. Such a sweet voice. Would anyone possibly be so kind as to, as to grab a bottle of water? Uh, thank you, Craig. I appreciate it. My mouth is just getting so dry. Okay. Now, here's another reason. I'm really excited about this. Okay. What's another reason to study the book of Daniel? It, because it's one of the most validated books in the Bible. Um, I remember early on in my college studies, I would hear all kinds of what they call um, textual criticism. Anybody familiar with the term? Textual criticism. Man, let me tell you something. I hate it. <laughs> It is the most grueling, boring set of courses that I ever had to go through. And basically, it's a bunch of... Thank you, brother. Basically, it's, it's the idea that some of the books of the Bible were not written by the people that we believe that was, it was written by. And the reason why liberal scholars have a hard time with this is because they don't believe in prophecy. They don't believe that, that God can do miracles. They don't believe that God can tell the future before it happens. 
So when Daniel very clearly lays out future world empires, liberal scholars of the late 19th, early 20th century said that can't be right. And so through, you know, higher learning, higher criticism, linguistical studies and all this, they say, well, you know, uh, you know, like with the book of Deuteronomy, they say, well, J, E, P, and D wrote it and compiled it. You got, you know, over here in this time period and a few hundred years later, they, they had a, res, a revival of, of religion and, the, and they wrote some more here and they wrote some more here and they wrote some more here. And then, and then finally down before the first century, they compiled it together and they said, oh, he wrote it. Moses wrote it. Or, oh, Daniel wrote it. You see. The reason why I love this book so much is because when you actually do the study and look at the things that they will not teach you in college, you realize that the book of Daniel is actually one of the most attested books of the entire scriptures. Now, why is it important? It's important because of the prophecies that are in it. Because if you can verify the validity of the book of Daniel, then you can verify the validity of the prophecies. And if you can verify the validity of the prophecies, then you better learn how to listen to prophecy because it's your destiny and mine. Let me give you a few examples. There's all kinds of history we could get into, into here that's really interesting. Besides the point, the main thing to remember is this. If you want to write something down, write this down. By 285 B.C., by 285 B.C., the Old Testament was written in the new language of the day. De- uh, Hebrew and Aramaic was, was spoken still in, in Israel. But by that time... The Greeks had already ruled under Alexander the Great. The Seleucids and the, you know, the Ptolemies and all that has already passed. The Romans have already risen to power. And now, Greek is the language of the day. So most of the people went around in Israel, not only speaking Hebrew, but for business purposes and official purposes. And when they would speak to Gentiles and Romans, they spoke Greek. Well, there came a need because of the diaspora Jews. Diaspora means outside, those that are outside. The Jews that lived in Israel pretty much had a good grasp of, of Hebrew. But the Jews that lived outside of Israel, you know, Pisidian Antioch, you know, over in Thessalonica, way over there in Rome, they didn't speak Hebrew anymore. They had become, I would say Anglicized, Greekicized. Is that a word? Greekicized? They become Greek, Greekicized. What? Helena. Helena. Oh, that's right. I should have thought of that. That's good. It's been a long time since I was in college. I forgot that word. Anyway, they became Hellenized. And so there arose a need to translate the Bible into Greek. So in Alexandria, Egypt, there was a group of scholars that came together. They worked for 15 years tediously translating the entire Old Testament into Greek. We still have copies of that thing today. And it's so valuable for our Bible study. Why? Because the New Testament writers all throughout the New Testament, when they quote the Old Testament, nine times out of ten, they don't quote the Hebrew, they quote the Greek. You say, Tim, why is that important? Because the book of Daniel was included in that translation. What does that tell you about the book of Daniel? That at least, at the very least, by 285 B.C., the book of Daniel was written. We know that for a fact, right? Well, That blows up a few theories because there are people that think that Daniel was even compiled later than that. Well, that can't be true. And here's the thing. Since we know that Daniel was written in Greek, in black and white, in 285, but at least by 285 B.C., then that means that the things in the book of Daniel that talk about things that happen after 285 have to be absolutely true. Do you see where I'm going with all this? They don't teach you this in seminary, man. Pay $50,000 for an education and you don't get one. 
I tell you, I've learned more about the Bible through the Holy Spirit in the last 20 years than I ever did when I went to college. Amen? Okay. Now watch this. I'm going to say a lot of things that may challenge a lot of people, but here's what I want you to do. Turn to Acts 17, verse 11. I want you to hold me accountable to this. Acts 17, verse 11. And I'd like somebody to read this nice and authoritatively. We have the mic. You got it? Why don't you read it for us, James? All right, go ahead. Acts 17, verse 11. New Living? Yeah, it's fine. Go ahead. Nice and authoritative, like a preacher. You want to go up to 10? Obey Sandy. All right. Yes. The, the very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. Okay, that's good. Thank you. So what made the uh, folks in Thessalonica more noble? Huh? They investigated. So you know what that verse is telling you? Do not believe a word that comes out of my mouth. Do not believe a word that comes out of my mouth. In other words, huh? Until it's confirmed. In other words, go home and study it for yourself. Yes, ma'am. If we could go back in time five or ten years, how much of what you believed back then would you confirm now? I mean, if we're in the Word, we should be... Exactly. Constantly. Exactly. Yeah, and, and my views of Daniel have, has changed radically in the last 10 years because of that. So, all right, uh, I heard the bell. I got one more last thing I'm going to share with you, and I, I think this is going to be really cool if you've never heard this story. Yeah, uh, yeah. I got five minutes. Well, I'll just take it slow then. Nice and slow. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Alert and sober. Amen. That's very good. We, we do the same thing with that verse of no one knows the day or the hour that I used to get mad about the Baptist when they would say, well, it says grace alone. 
And I would try to argue baptism and repentance and faith. Yeah, I was trying to say, but yeah, but that's not what the Bible, that's not the only thing the Bible says, right? And we do the same thing when it comes to prophecy. We write off the whole, we write off one third of the book, one third of the Bible, because we say no one knows the day or the hour and we don't want to get into it. Why? Because so many of us have, have grown up around the confusion with last day's teachers and prophets, right? Late, late great planet earth, man. I remember that back in the eighties, you know? Um, and people predicting the, the last days, people predicting when things are going to happen, all this kind of stuff. That's not what I'm about. What I'm about is to obey what Christ told us to do as disciples, which is to be alert, to be watchful, to be ready. That's the main thing. Prophecy, if it's taught accurately and well, it will lead to what you hope for, which is the church to wake up and live expectantly for his return. Why? Because we will have things from prophecy to know what to look for. So our eyes will be open. Jesus says, when you see these things, lift up your heads because why? Your redemption draws near. Well, if you don't know what things he's talking about, then you're not going to know how to look. And that's what we want to be about. Okay, one last thing. How many times? Craig, I got two minutes now, don't I? Okay. I got one last thing I want to share with you. When did I say um, that uh, the uh, Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament was written by? By 285 B.C. Okay, watch this. The book of Daniel was solidified, accepted as scripture by 285 B.C. Before Christ, right? Listen to this. In 332 B.C., when Alexander the Great was on his conquest to conquer the known world by the age of 30, he gets to Jerusalem. He's going to conquer Jerusalem too. And... The high priest that year was a man by the name of Yadua, Yadua, or Jadua, okay? And God had showed Jadua a vision and told him ahead of time that Alexander the Great was coming. Well, we haven't got there yet, but the book of Daniel, when we get there, lays out the entire career of Alexander the Great before it ever happened, before the man was even born. So when Alexander the Great came to the temple in Jerusalem and went to Yadua, Yadua came out with a very old rolled up scroll. And he set it down before Alexander the Great and he unrolled it and he showed himself in the Bible where he himself was mentioned in the book of Daniel hundreds of years before Alexander the Great showed up. Now does that not tell you about the validity of the book of Daniel? You know what happened after that? History records it and tells us what happened because Josephus told us what happened. He said that when Alexander the Great saw that the God of Israel had recognized him in Scripture, he spared the city and he left. That was worth the price of coming in here today, wasn't it? Yep. Amen. Okay. God bless you guys. I love you. Let's get ready to worship the Lord. We'll see you in a minute.